some pain in the body won't ever show up on that. So it's okay. We look at the other causes of pain and those causes of pain are tied into our emotional state, how we breathe. And then I go into the whole thing with them, right? And your breathing pattern and then when we get really anxious and then all of them, like the light bulb, they're just like, I'm really anxious. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> and they start to connect it in a new way, which is great. It doesn't mean they're gonna like, their pain goes away like that, but to start to peel the layers of self-awareness, I think is huge. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kyberg, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. Hey there, Dr. Emily Kybert here with Muscle Medicine Podcast. Today we sit down with Dr. Emily Splickle, a podiatrist and regenerative medicine specialist. Emily and I have been friends for about eight years now, and her Center for Functional and Regenerative Podiatric Medicine is in the Urban Wellness Clinic space, which is my clinic in New York City in Midtown Manhattan. It's been so cool to watch and experience Emily's evolution from teaching barefoot medicine online and in-person seminars to trainers and health professionals with her evidence-based Barefoot Academy to now focusing more on regenerative medicine and also changing how our feet perceive the ground and waking them up with her nobozo mat and insoles. Today we talk about the biopsychosocial aspect to healing and how we can nurture the mind-body connection in today's overstimulating modern world and how trauma sometimes presents as chronic pain and the importance of being vulnerable. So a huge array of topics we go through. It's so fun and is such a wealth of knowledge. If you feel like Muscle Medicine's adding value, go to iTunes, subscribe, rate and review, tell us what you think about this episode. I can't wait for you guys to listen. All right. We're sitting down with one of my favorite people. We send her so many patients and she is like the rock star podiatrist in New York City and really around the world because she travels and teaches in Asia and Europe, like all over. I'm exhausted. I'm also (laughs) blushing. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So tell me what makes you different than other podiatrists. So I try to pride myself on looking at patients very holistically and from a functional integrated approach. So I'll actually refer to myself as a functional podiatrist versus just podiatry, which means that I'm looking at functional movement, but try to take it even further beyond just integrated functional movement, but think of every aspect that ties into the human body, human physiology. So mind, body, stress, diet, supplementation, sleep, gut biome, all the, everything everything that really ties into. And they're all such important pieces. Yeah. And I started noticing that I had to look at my patients different when I was getting a lot of chronic pain patients. And they're the trickiest. I know. They're so hard. I wasn't seeking them out. They just started coming to my practice and then would notice 
subtleties in their demeanor and subtleties in how they would just be almost like on their last straw of either hope or frustration. And they're just, there was a heavy emotional side to it that I knew that I couldn't just approach them from take this medication, let me block the pain perception in the brain and then go spend the rest of your life. And, you know, so, which is very different than a lot of podiatry, Western medicine, neurology looks at pain. And unfortunately the pharmaceutical side is, is not what I would want to do with a patient. Yeah. So if someone comes to see you, what does that look like? So for every patient that comes in, I'm doing a thorough intake on previous sports that they've done, like a really extensive injury history or medical history, their diet, their sleep patterns, how they work out, when they work out, what their recovery looks like, obviously any medications and things like that. And then other alternative modalities that they might have done. And then just recently, the more that I kind of get into the chronic pain and biopsychosocial is looking at their mental health intake and really sitting down with them and understanding their relationship to the pain. Like, are they completely identified by the pain? Most of them are. And they really just become one with that pain versus, you know, my name is Emily and I happen to have plantar fasciitis, but they're like, I am plantar fasciitis. Like I am completely identified and it's part of my identity, which is, it's hard to understand that unless you have been in chronic pain. Yeah, absolutely. It just completely becomes every other second of your life, you're thinking of that pain issue and trying to break that pattern. So what are the tools that you use to break that pattern? Because that's a really hard pattern to break. And so many people can go down the rabbit hole. I try not to become like the therapist, like (laughs) psychologist, (laughs) but to be, I guess, a guidance throughout that journey and try to bring an awareness of the benefit of meditation. I recommend actually books to them and I send oh, them recommended reads. What's I don't know some of your favorite books? Do. I love this. Um, Dr. Gabor Matei's work is incredible. One of the books is When the Body Says No. He has tons of lectures on YouTube that I'll actually just send the links to patients and say, listen to this when you're getting ready, you're relaxing, whatever it is. Dr. Stephen Porges in his polyvagal theory. Yes, I love Really him. good stuff. Super great. Yes, Bruce Lipton, which I know you're going to like his stuff as well. So the biology of belief, those are three of the big ones. And then really can offshoot from there. Do they want to do like somatic movement work, right? So just kind of the expression through it. Do they just want to do yoga? (laughs) What's somatic movement work? Controlology is one of them. There's also different philosophies. Here in New York, there's, there's more of it, but there's a movement flow, movement programs called five rhythms oh yeah so they have they actually have a conference coming up so i'm gonna go to it to experience it yeah so it's three days of somatic movement and i will get to experience it but then i'll be able to guide my patients a little bit better so that's one of the things i love about you you don't only just look at the feet you look at everything and then you are literally putting it within your own body before you apply it to your patients oh yeah yeah absolutely i love that yeah i try to empathize with them as much as I can to just be like, okay, I understand what it's like where I think a lot of Western medicine practitioners, or if you're very much into musculoskeletal 
movement medicine almost in a sense. Like movement can be very bones, joints, tendons, mechanical, right? Almost like robotic in a sense. Or it could be fascial, spiritual, energy. I feel like there's two different approaches. You want to appreciate both of them, but from a practitioner perspective, if you're too mechanical and it's like, oh, you have knee pain, therefore strengthen quads, do leg extension, therefore pain goes away. Well, if your pain doesn't go away, how do you explain that to the patient, right? Like what else could you provide for that patient outside of just integrated recommendations, but perhaps there's something more on that energy side that is keeping that persistent pain. So I try to provide both aspects. Interesting. So in the beginning, it sounds like in your practice and just through your evolution, it was very more biomechanical because you literally teach instructors the anatomy of the foot, the mechanics of the foot, right? Through evidence. Yep. Through EBFA. Yeah. Yeah. Through EBFA. And now it's kind of transitioning more towards this biopsychosocial piece. I remember you did a you did a training for all of our staff and you were talking about the nuances of proprioceptive fibers in the foot. And you have this amazing product, Nobozo. Yeah. A mat. Should be here. But we use it every day to retrain people through gait patterning. And then you have insoles. And you have insoles for babies, like for the toddlers. Yeah. So one of the things you were you were telling us, and especially in the rehab world, is oftentimes if you have a foot injury or a sprained ankle, you will get put on this like big, thick, blue Eric's pad and you'll do exercises to retrain your balance. And you're like, actually, there's different kinds of fibers and you need to retrain both. So can you speak to that? Because I think it's really interesting because it really breaks the model. Like as therapists and for people who see therapists, when I see a therapist break out the blue pad, I'm like, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. Especially if you're doing it in those shoes. Yeah, exactly. Um, So... The the easiest way to think about this is there are two main classifications for the nerves, for the proprioceptors that are providing sensory input to the brain, to the nervous system to help control shifts in your center of gravity. Even that aspect, I think a lot of people don't know, is like there are signals going to the brain constantly telling you where you are in time yeah, and space. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah, constantly reading the external environment. And what I'll often tell people is if you want to be more stable or better control your joints, really what you're perceiving is subtle shifts in joint position sense, right? That, that feedback. And you can only stabilize a joint as quickly as you can perceive a shift in that joint, right? So really the micro movements of joint position sense or shifts in joint position sense is really what you should be training versus a lot of people look at instability training and they think wobble board, BOSU, you're on it or you're off it, right? Like it's kind of these gross, grandiose movements, which is, it's the micro perturbations that are actually what's feeding the nervous system and it's called noise. So that noise, micro noise, almost like a static of a radio station or something like that. That's more of what you want to tune into versus loud, obvious, huge movements. So if we take that and we think of the nerves that control, let's say the foot and ankle, because that's really that contact point between the body and the ground, the skin on the bottom of the foot are the small nerves. So we'll refer to those as the small nerves. And then the nerves on the outside of the ankle, think 
Golgi tendon, muscle spindles, perineal reaction time. That's what most ankle rehab is trained in is perineal reaction time. Those are large nerve proprioceptors. So small nerve, large nerve. When you look at which one has a faster reaction time, which one reads the subtlety of the of the noise? It's actually the small nerves. And when you go on to soft surfaces, like the blue square pad. It's like this classic blue. Like you see that <laughs> color blue and you're like, no brands I mentioned, know what that is. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no brands no, mentioned. Um, or something that's soft. Even a lot of yoga mats will actually do this as well. Or Pilates mats, which are usually a little bit thicker. When you go on to that, whether you're barefoot or in shoes, you're actually damping or blocking the small nerves in the bottom of the feet, which means you are becoming reliant and you're training the large nerve proprioceptors, the perineal reaction time, right? But when you actually look at the timing of the stabilization of the ankle in this case, the perineal reaction time isn't fast enough. So if you just go large nerve, large nerve to correct the shift, it will never be fast enough. You actually want to precede the large nerve with the small nerve, which is the stimulation of the skin on the bottom of the foot. So Naboso is a small nerve proprioceptive mat. It has the small little textures, which are stimulating two-point discrimination, which is one of the very specific nerves in the bottom of the foot. That leads to faster lateral ankle stability or faster perineal reaction time. And what is the texture of the mat? If you were to describe it, if no one had ever, if someone hadn't seen it before, how would you describe it? Yeah. So picture a yoga mat, just because it's easier (laughs) from a dimensional perspective. And there are tiny little pyramids that are across the entire mat. The height of the pyramid is very specific and the distance between each of those pyramids is very specific. So it's a pattern. How did, you, how did you determine that? There's past textured insole research. Okay. So past textured research that shows, oh, okay, when you have a pyramid versus let's say something circular or square or flat, different shapes, it creates a response within the nervous system different. So this is based off of prior textured research. And then when you look at the different nerves in the bottom of the feet, not to get too technical, but there are four main ones. There's one that is a SA1 Merkel disc, has a name and is very specific to two-point discrimination. Two points meaning pyramid peak and the distance that it can read is one millimeter. So when you look at it, each of those peaks is one millimeter apart. So the best analogy to that would be Braille. So it's actually the same receptor in the hands or the fingers that reads Braille as the receptor in the feet that reads the Noboso mat. So that's what I try to get patients or professionals or consumers to understand that just how your hand reads Braille to kind of understand that environment in that situation. The skin in the feet is reading and using texture or two-point discrimination to constantly read the subtle shifts in your center of gravity, whether you shift a little forward, a little backwards, that will stimulate or trigger those nerves, which then feeds into the brain and the nervous system to control upright posture and dynamic posture. And when that is placed in an insole, because you have insoles as well, and people are wearing that, what is the greater benefit on like a layman's term? When someone thinks, okay, I need an insole, typically they're thinking, I need an insole to prevent my arch from collapsing. 
but this is very different. Yeah. So our insole is totally flat. It's thin. So it's three millimeters. You can roll it. You can wring it out. There's absolutely no control, quote unquote, control coming from it. There's no arch that's built into it. It is purely a sensory insole trying to reconnect you to your foundation. So whether you are consciously reconnected to your foundation, which is part of it, and that's where we say tuning into the noise. So I want you to tune into the noise of your feet and the ground and the texture. And then that translates to better conscious awareness in your movement. Maybe you don't strike the ground as hard. Maybe you correct a misstep a little bit faster and then you don't fall. So that's what we use it with a lot of the seniors. Maybe it just feeds into, not in a conscious level, but a subconscious level, how your brain and nervous system paints the picture of movement. And that's why like with children, we use it with MS and Parkinson's and stroke and spinal cord injury and neuropathy. There's a lot of heavy medical conditions that we use it for. I mean, we see amazing results. People who could barely walk are now running. I mean, it's... That's wild. Yeah, it makes me cry. Are you you guys doing research on the... Like, do you have a research team on this? Yeah, so we're doing research with four different universities. We're looking at Parkinson's. We're looking at MS. And a lot of the prior textured insole research was done static. So it's like, okay, you stand in this insole and then your static, kind of your quiet stance. What is your medial lateral sway? That's what's measured. I don't care about that as much. I'd rather show different gait parameters. So your stride length is increasing. Your stride symmetry is increasing. The single leg stance time increases, things like that. So we're doing those. We're doing an idiopathic toe walking study, which that one's really good for children, just because there's a lot of prevalence around idiopathic toe walking and the sensory stimulus that feeds into that. So basically kids aren't putting their heel on the ground and they're kind of walking on their tiptoes everywhere. Yes. Okay. And a lot of times people will see that and then think that there's a lot of other complex higher like brain. neurological. Yeah, exactly. Got it. But if they're ruling out all of that, then these parents are just left at like, what else can I do? I don't want to have them do Achilles tendon lengthening. So having another option is great. And Achilles tendon lengthening is literally surgically cutting the Achilles tendon. Yeah. And lengthening it. Wow. Yeah. That's intense. I know. Oh my God. I almost want to cry when I think of my own child ever having to get that. I mean, it's a really basic surgery, but I mean, it doesn't sound like it. Some people are always like, oh my God. And I'm like, don't worry. It's not that bad. (laughs) If you do need it, it's not that bad. But yeah, so we're trying to avoid that. So a lot of really cool stuff that essentially what we're trying to do is bring in awareness around the power of sensory stimulation. Noboso is a way that we do that through the insoles, through the mats. That's what I try to put across through barefoot training is really just reconnecting to the sensory. Any of these minimal shoe companies or when I recommend minimal shoes to my patients, it has a sensory perspective. It's much less heavy biomechanical focused. It's much more sensory. And I try to get people to understand that when you look at the human body, sensory precedes motor. And if you don't have sufficient sensory in, motor out is not going to be good, right? Like crap in, crap out (laughs) is the best way to explain it. Yeah. I mean, people get it then, right? You bring in garbage, you put out garbage, right? right? But the branches of the nervous system, there are 10 times as many sensory nerves as motor nerves. There's a reason for that, right? What I bring in shapes 
ultimately what I put out, the coordination of what I put out. Got it. Well, that's interesting because I feel like so much rehab therapy, and I'm sure anyone who's experienced any sort of physical therapy is so focused on how do we make this muscle contract? How do we change this motor patterning or muscle memory? Yeah. And I do a lot of teaching to personal trainers and coaches and things like that and and have them understand the importance of this. And I'm like, if you have someone that you're doing rehab or movement coordination or whatever it is, is assess the situation and see how can I optimize or what is the level of sensory information coming in? Are there shoes on? Okay, maybe I should take the shoes off. Oh, the hands are another gateway. So maybe I want them to hold something. So now I'm stimulating the skin on the hands, which loops into the brain as well. Oh, maybe I want them to look at something. I can change the light. I can use sound and vibration. And then that feeds in as well. You can do superficial rolling. You can do dry brushing. There's use rock tape or kinesio tape. There's Lots of things that you can do to up the ante in the sensory stimulation versus almost setting them up for failure in a sense, right? Especially if they if they have a deficit or an injury, they're almost set up to fail in a sense if they have decreased awareness of their joints or their feet and then they have these thick shoes on and you're not cueing anything to it and you're not cueing breath, then you're giving them like half the pieces to the puzzle. Right. So how do you deal with someone? Because I feel like, especially in New York and a lot of parts of the world, we are in sensory overload. And then I'm also asking my people to be like, Hey, let's create like a little bit more awareness a mind body connection. And I feel like people disassociate sometimes for a reason. Like they're not trying to create more sensory awareness potentially for a reason. Like if it's like, they're burning the candle at both ends at work or what do you give those kinds of people? Yeah. So almost like a type A. Yeah. We know those types. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we are them. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. So that sensory information still needs to come in, but I think in a less literal sense. So that's where I try to use breath. And I know you're huge in breathing Yeah, is controlling the breathing pattern and then build either the somatic awareness or the interoceptive awareness, like actually have them or teach them to feel their heartbeat in a sense. So can they, can they connect? And I feel that with a lot of my patients that those that usually, let's say if they have chronic pain, create a disassociation, which means now they have a a hypersensitivity to something that shouldn't even be pain because they've created a disconnect from their body versus coming back to the body, change that relationship with the pain. And then it really wouldn't be as, <laughs> as intense as what, what they're feeling. So, I mean, a lot of the breathing patterns, meditation, somatic work, whether that's movement, just dance. I mean, really dance is a really good way to do it. Yeah, Yoga, Pilates is a way as well right? So just gyrotonics, any of the, like the five rhythms and things like that, something to reconnect. If they are truly type A, they're probably going to hate those and don't want to go in that direction. Five rhythms might not be the starting point. That might be like, do some yoga, then go to the five rhythms. Exactly. (laughs) But I feel if you can almost sneak it in there, a lot of the trainers that I teach, I just did a lecture at Equinox. It was all about biopsychosocial interoception, And some of them were not ready to hear it. I was like, don't worry. This is not therapy, right? They were just like, what is going on? 
Like, I just want to do some squats. And I was like, okay. But really, if you're trying to change a breathing pattern, and I, I try to loop it in for trainers or movement specialists to understand like, okay, if you're not breathing the right way and your diaphragm connects to your pelvic floor, there's no way that your lumbar pelvic hip complex can be stable if you're not breathing the right way. Right. Okay, that's established. Absolutely. Great. Okay. So, but if you're trying to change the breathing pattern in let's say a patient that has chronic pain, you can't just say, stop breathing that that way, right? Just keep breathing into your belly, keep doing that. And then they'll just be like, I'm trying, but then the head gets in the way. And that's why I was like, you have to dig deeper into the emotional side because your breath pattern is a reflection of your internal conversation you're having with yourself. So if that's not addressed, you will never change the breathing pattern. So what I've experienced when you take that person who's, in chronic pain, but also maybe having an acute episode where it's like really intense, you get them to try and tap into that diaphragmatic breathing. They literally go into like a sympathetic, there's like a puddle of sweat on the table. And you're like, oh my God, I just pushed them into a sympathetic response even more so. Calm and swallow. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, let me get like some things on your hands and feet to calm you. Right, right. Exactly. So let's talk about the biopsychosocial because I think it's really cool. You've collaborated with Lois Laney. I've taken one of her courses. It is like way, way, way different, but also so important to integrate. So how are you bringing the biopsychosocial aspect to clients, just to like your work? Because I know you like to, I think one of your favorite things is like to sit down and connect different ideas together. Yeah, I'm just a very curious person. (laughs) And write about it, which is like so cool. Yeah, obviously the application is the important part. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So you want to be able to somehow pull them all together, not just talk about off tangent topics, but they do tie in. They do tie in, of course. So I tease, I tease into it. A lot of this stuff is just my own exploration. And it's just, you know, it started very biomechanical because that's what podiatry school is. And then I had a deeper appreciation for movement. So then, okay, that kind of tied in, pulled away some of the biomechanical, got into all the fascial stuff, got in the breathing stuff, and then just delved in more layers through my own exploration and paralleled with these chronic pain patients. And then when you start looking at trauma and just people's relationship with trauma, I'm sorry, it was the interoception that led into that, right? So my internal conversation based off of how I perceive shifts in my internal sensory system, right? So like gut, right? So if I'm starting to get palpitations or butterflies in my stomach, I might be like starting to get really worked up and super anxious around it where you could say like, I'm okay. I'm in control. I'm right. So we, we just have different Richter scales of how we respond to those shifts in our internal sensory environment, right? And when you start looking at that, you start seeing that each person's internal conversation is different and each person's internal conversation has to be appreciated because it was built off of their own experiences. And those experiences are often built off of survival strategies, which is the polyvagal theory, and what they went through at whatever age shaped that imprint in a sense. And when you delve even deeper into that, you see that, okay, there's a lot that's happening in the first three years of life. And 
attachment theories. I've read a lot on attachment style as well. And the, your relationship with your caregiver imprints a lot of that. Bruce Lipton is huge on consciousness and how you are essentially just recording everything from your parents or from your family and your caregivers. And then that starts to shape a lot of your relationship as well. So let's say anxiety is often associated with a lot of medical problems, like people who are really anxious, right? So you could say, well, people who are usually really anxious breathe with a very super diaphragmatic kind of shallow breathing. So we could go to everything that we know about breathing, and then that's going to make them less stable in the pelvic floor and in the pelvis. So we can start to connect that. So that's one layer. You could go even deeper layer and say, okay, when people have an anxious breathing pattern, they have a heightened sensitivity to pain and they actually experience allodynia, which is things that are not painful are painful to them, right? And that's so like a brush on the skin. Exactly. Or, yeah. Yeah. The feeling of their clothes. That part is also layered into anxiety and their breathing pattern because it's shifting the baroceptors in the lungs based off of how they're breathing. So now we have two layers to that. If they also have a little bit of a dissociation, they're not able to feel that they're getting anxious because they don't feel inside, right? Mm, yeah. So then it's hard for you to connect to their healing process of their ACL injury. I don't know, right? So you can see that there's lots of layers to that. Yeah. A lot of that really is... That's the biopsychosocial, right? But it's thinking of, okay, what's happening in their environment, meaning their home relationships, just their immediate. Are they under a lot of stress from their job? Are they in the middle of a divorce? Do they have a crazy household with kids? I don't know, whatever it is, right? So they're, they're the immediate. Or it could go even deeper and say, oh, okay, this person, when they were two, were sexually abused. I mean, it goes that deep. Yeah. Most people are like, I don't want to go that far deep. Right. <laughs> well, let's not open a can of worms or Pandora's box or whatever. But practitioners should appreciate that, that that is imprinted. And then it helps the practitioner respect the patient. That's really the biggest thing that I try to take out of it. Because I started noticing that a lot of my patients, chronic pain patients, would just want to be heard. And like they would just like all cry. Yeah. And I was just like, let them. Probably because I just have the personality to just be like, you give it all to me. <laughs> I'll cry with cry you. Cry it out. <laughs> exactly. Not a good session if you don't. Exactly. <laughs> but most of them would come back and say like, you just, like you heard me. You actually listened to me. Where a lot of the other doctors would say, that's not, right? If I'm like touching something and there's nothing on x-ray or MRI or CT and I'm like, there's nothing but they're like, it hurts. Most docs would be like, get out of my office, right? Like you're kind of... Or they'd be told it's in their head. Which you never want to do. I know. You never want <laughs> yeah, to do that. in your head. Yeah. So the biopsychosocial approach has the practitioner respect that patient. And even though it may be in their head, it's technically not literally in their head, but just know that it's because of their emotional state their internal dialogue, how that internal dialogue is affecting their breathing pattern, that relationship is pulling into their presentation right now, right? So just appreciating it is like the biggest step one. 
And then that's where I recommend, you know, the meditation, connecting to their body. Listen to Gabor Mate. Try to try to understand and become more. And then I explain it to patients. Like sometimes there is pain that we feel that won't show up on an MRI because they just want to keep like do yeah. another MRI, do another CT or whatever. Yeah. And I try to have them understand like what you're feeling is not going to show up, right? All those past tests that have done like your big bunch of file that you bring into me have all been negative. This is not going to show up. And just that doesn't mean you don't have pain, but some pain in the body won't ever show up on that. So it's okay. We look at the other causes of pain and those causes of pain are tied into our emotional state, how we breathe. And then I go into the whole thing with them, right? And your breathing pattern. And then when we get really anxious and then all of them, like the light bulb, they're just like, I'm really anxious. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> and they start to connect it in a new way, which is great. It doesn't mean they're going to like, their pain goes away like that. But to start to peel the layers of self-awareness, I think is huge. So what do you think makes certain people, right? Because certain people have had these traumas and it presents physically as potentially chronic pain. And then there's some people who've had traumas and they, I'm thinking of like the Navy SEALs, like they have trauma and I don't know if they block it. I don't know if they're just built different or what it is, but I'm always curious because like we definitely see people who their traumas have kind of been amplified to this chronic pain. And then some people like they have traumas, but they don't really talk about it. And they're like, everything's okay. And then there's like these elite people who are just like insane, like the Navy SEALs. And you're like, have you, I know you've been through trauma, but you seem to deal with it a whole different way. Well, I mean, that that's actually a really good point because I did a lecture on this. Oh, you did? At, oh, cool. Yeah, at the NSCA TactFit okay. conference. And it was a similar thing that everyone in the audience was like, oh my God, what are like, I did not go to therapy. They were just, <laughs> they, everyone just kind of was like, is she going to ask me about my like emotional state? And I was like, it's okay. I'll, I'll expose mine. You don't have to. This is safe. But try to bring an awareness that if you are looking, let's say, at injuries in tactical professionals, whether it's military or police or, or whatever it is, is, I mean, their jobs are extremely physically demanding. And if they do get XYZ injury and then any of the health or movement specialists that work with them to train them is that there's probably a layer to this that is not being explored, but is probably influencing it. Going back to the breathing, yeah, huge one there. Yeah. And what you see in a lot of them is that they are trained to be tough in a sense, right? And if it's kind of like a guy's club also in a sense that yeah. they wouldn't ever expose that side to them because it's a sign of weakness where it's just like, I think they should. When you look at the numbers of like PTSD and vets and stuff like that, it's clearly it's massive, but their needs a safe outlet and a safe expression and an integration of this approach with them. I think even if it was just through the breathing, that would be a really effective way to kind of hack it in a sense yeah. or like backdoor it. Yeah. Just because I think that they're just compartmentalizing it, which could just lead to deeper disassociative injuries or presentations later on. 
Have you read Dr. Gabor Mate's work? I haven't yet. Okay. You'd really like it. So he speaks a lot on like people who suppress, 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 or try to be people pleasers and put everyone else first versus themselves. A lot of those individuals will present with cancer. Like, so there's actually ways that like cancer presents in people who are never putting themselves first because they're trying to almost like stuff something in a way that it doesn't release the way that cancer and healing and stuff like that. Yeah. Really, really powerful stuff. His stuff paralleled with Bruce Lipton's belief and immune system and kind of that presentation, those paralleled, I think is the most powerful connection to it that I would check them out. I know you you listen to Bruce Lipton stuff, but connecting it with Dr. Gabor Mateis is, is really good. So for any of the tact fit or people that are too proud to expose themselves, I think that there's more of an awareness to being vulnerable is actually a, a sign of strength. I just, I, I noticed that a lot more on Like the Brene social media. Brown and yeah. like Simon Sinek kind of yeah. messaging. Yeah. And I think the more you see that, it just kind of shows that to everyone. And like everyone, everyone is fucked up somehow. Sorry. I don't know if you can swear on this. <laughs> That's okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. But Everyone is. Everyone has a story. Everyone is going through something, even if to the face they seem happy and perfect and whatever, just realizing that. And I realize that with my patients so I can like one off that. And then I try to approach that or bring that message when I'm speaking to professionals or at a conference. It's just like, we are all kind of in the same <laughs> daily struggle. Yeah, and no joke. literally everyone is pseudo-fucked up in a certain way. So appreciating that and respecting that And then you can show those because once you do have the full picture, you're able to connect dots a lot easier. To me, the emotional stuff has been the most impactful. So knowing all of this, what is your daily routine like? Like if there was just a couple daily self-care or I know you've done a lot of like crazy kind of exercise stuff that I see on Instagram. What exercise stuff? (laughs) Like with these pieces of... Fabric hanging oh, from the <laughs> I love my areas. I know you do. I know. I'm huge on mindset. Mm-hmm. I know mindset's huge. It just feels very trendy right now. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe in my world. But I start every day with mindset, meaning that the first 30 minutes when I wake up, because your brain waves are a little bit slower, you're more influential at that period. So the first 30 minutes, I listen to some sort of motivation. I like Tony Robbins. He's just kind of a kick you in the ass. It's like Gary Vaynerchuk is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gary's awesome. Gary's is, is also. But starting your day with that just kind of sets like a mental shift for me. And then I try to do some sort of, you know, mind body separation. When I work out, I'm a very don't talk to me because it's meditative to me, <laughs> which is why I just try to like headphones in, in, yeah. in the zone. Yeah. And I do a lot of body weight movement because it really helps me to reconnect to my body, to the somatic side of, of things. Of course I do aerials. I feel like that's just an extension of the body weight, like gymnast-esque stuff. It is. That <laughs> it is. Yeah. Off the ground. Yeah. Sometimes I get a random urge to just climb things. Oh, interesting. I don't know. I'm sure any of the gymnasts <laughs> that are listening get that. But yeah. And then I, I try to do a lot of self-care, whether it's massage or infrared sauna, something that you just 
you have to schedule and just block it off. I'm extremely protective over my time, which I know you understand when you get really busy. And that's just the further I've gone in my career, I've just been really protective over it where I used to kind of be less protective and like do meetings longer and kind of whatnot. But you, you really have to be protective over your time. Those are great. Yeah. I think that last one is especially important. It's like, know what to say no to. Where can people find you? I'm on all the social platforms and my practice website is my name. So dremelyspickle.com. The Naboso products are Naboso, N-A-B-O-S-O, technology.com. My education company is EBFA Global. And the rest... Global. Global. <laughs> I love we that. changed it. <laughs> yes, because we're global. Yeah. Any of the other stuff. We have YouTube. I have a blog. I have a book. All of that kind of links from any Webinars, of Webinars. I feel like... I'm like, how does she churn out this content? <laughs> it's called reallocation of information. <laughs> And again, <laughs> allocation of your time. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. All right. Dr. Emily Splickle on the podcast. If you like what she had to say, go to iTunes, subscribe, rate and review. We'd love to hear what you have to say. She is such a wealth of information to celebrate her and her company and all of our listeners of Muscle Medicine, we're going to be giving away a pair of her insoles. So check it out in the show notes. After you rate and review Muscle Medicine, there'll be a link of where to go to enter. And then we'll pick a winner a week after the episode releases. Check it out in the show notes. Can't wait to hear what you guys have to say.